0: Thank you, Sam. Now for, I know for some of you it will be deja vu since we had uh, Mike Rater's preaching um, la, or you know the training session last week so hopefully I've been able to rework it so it's a bit fresh. Now it's much easier for us to love those who love us in return, isn't it? How do you husbands feel sometimes when your wife, when your wife asks you something after you've just come home from a hard day's work or maybe a week? Or how do you wives feel when you've been run off your feet during the day? Sometimes when it's the kids just doing something around the house and you have to cook a meal for your husband when he comes home from work. I should also probably add that this can also be vice versa as these are modern times. It might not just be the husband coming home from work. It might also be the wives. Or how do you feel when things are not going well in a relationship? Whether it be your marriage, family or a friend at work. And you have to interact with them, and they're not loving you in return. What about a complete stranger in need? I ask you to reflect on these examples as we continue on this morning. Now, the Good Samaritan is one of the most well understood or most well known parables to both Christians and non Christians. However, many people actually do misinterpret it, this parable as a story of just kindness but they miss the point of the story. This is because the truth of Jesus' parables are, (coughs) are hidden, as it states earlier in the chapter in verses 21 and 22. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you have been pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by the Father for no one knows who the Son is except the Father and no one knows who the Father is except the Son and those to whom the Son chose to reveal him. And then in verses 23 and 24 Then he turned to his disciples and said privately Blessed are those for the eyes that you see for I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you now see but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Jesus then goes on to an occasion where he teaches this familiar parable. Jesus reveals himself to his disciples through parables, while the religious leaders of the time, his critics, were kept unaware of the parable's true meanings. We as believers have the eyes to hear, or eyes to see, and the ears to hear. Whereas the story of the Good Samaritan, for non-believers, is just a story of kindness. Even though we have been given the insight as believers, we can still misinterpret it, not only the parable we are reading today, but of any part of the scripture. And we need to ensure that when we read the text and study it, we read the text in its correct context and that we do not look for any hidden meaning. Even though the Good Samaritan may be interpreted as being just a story of kindness and that God does indeed want us to be kind and good, it misses the point of the parable. And it's like all the other parables which talk about our salvation in Jesus Christ at the start of the parable in verse twenty five a lawyer stood up to test Jesus now the lawyer wouldn't wouldn't have been an expert of the law like we know today it would have been a, it would have been a lawyer or an expert in that of the Old Testament or scripture. Notice that the wording states that the lawyer stood up to test Jesus. This tells us immediately that the lawyer was not wanting to ask Jesus about the truth or a genuine question about his salvation, but he was wanting to trap Jesus like so many other religious leaders at the time. He wanted to ask a loaded question to trap Jesus into failing. Now with all this in mind, the lawyer asks Jesus how he could inherit eternal life. The lawyer was essentially asking what could he do to gain eternal life? And it shows quite a human response in where we tend to think that we can fix things, don't we? I was watching my daughter the other day trying to put together her mix master and the beaters had actually come out. and um, So she was getting quite frustrated and when I asked if she wanted help she was so adamant that she could do it. So much so that she actually kept repeating to herself mere Fick, which is fix for her, but she's getting there. She's only two and a half. So I ended up... Said, so, okay, fine, I'll just let her go and kept watching her. And she eventually ended up asking for help and she was getting quite frustrated and the mere fic turned into peas daddy fic. <laughs> Albeit with lots of pointing to the mix master and then the beaters and showing me what to do. So she was still directing me, so Now it would have been easier if she'd from the very beginning asked, instead of trying to fix it herself, asked me how to so I could at least show her. I wonder if God and it I wonder if God has similar thoughts when he deals with us and we keep thinking we can do it on our own strength and eventually out of frustration we turn around and ask him for help. Now in directing a question to Jesus or to the lawyer, Jesus places himself in a position to evaluate the lawyer's answer and he guides the lawyer by pointing him to something that was extremely familiar for both of them and all the other people around witnessing this exchange. And they could both and they could all agree on his truth. Now, this would have been the Old Testament, what we know today. Jesus was asking the lawyer for his understanding of what the law stated. Old Testament lawyers were highly educated from a young age and spent an extended period of time before being appointed to their office, much like our lawyers today. The estimates from the Illustrated Bible dictionary place it that they started their training at 13 years old and they only graduated at 30 years old. So they would have been studying, reciting, copying, learning and um, debating scripture for over 17 years before they actually became a qualified lawyer. As a result, their understanding of scripture was profound but over the years the Pharisees and the Sadducees kept adding their own interpretations to the law whether it be written or verbal and the estimate is about 619 laws in addition to the 10 laws of Moses. No wonder you couldn't be righteous at that point in time. However, the lawyer was very good at what he was doing and he knew what he needed to respond with. And he responded by quoting two verses of scripture, Deuteronomy 6 verse 4 to 5 and Leviticus 19 verse 18, which sum up the entire law of God. Now Jesus states this in Matthew 22, love the, Lord with all your, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the laws and the prophets hang on to these two commandments. Now these two commandments actually summarise the ten commandments which were given to Moses. The first five actually relate to our relationship with God. And the second or the latter five actually relate to our relationships with people. And therefore what does the Old Testament require? It requires that we love our God and that we love ourselves. Or sorry, we love others as we love ourselves. And this needs to be met. As a result, Jesus confirmed to the lawyer that he had given the correct answer and replied that if the lawyer followed these two commandments he will receive eternal life. That if he wants it, he should go and fulfill the law. Much easier to say, a lot harder to do. The lawyer's response in verse 29 states that he wanted to justify himself and ask Jesus, "Who is my neighbor?" The question reveals bless you <laughs> the G, uh, question reveals the lawyer's attitude and is hard by the fact that he does not think about how he loves God or how he loves his neighbour. He is so self-righteous that he can only think about the definition of who makes a neighbour. He thinks that he keeps Deuteronomy 6 where he loves his God and he thinks that he loves his neighbours as Leviticus 19. But therefore, who are his neighbours? Jesus tells us that the Israelites were taught to hate their enemies But Jesus says to love their enemies and to pray for them. And in addition he adds Deuteronomy 10 verse 19 which states and you are to love those who are foreigners for yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. However, the lawyers did not love their enemies or the foreigners living amongst them as they had misconstrued Psalm 139 where it states do I not hate those who hate you O Lord and do I not loathe those who are against you? and they removed them as being neighbours. In other words, they deemed only people who they wanted to be neighbours as actual neighbours. Now the lawyer believes that he had passed the test of loving God. He believes he had passed the test of loving the ones he is supposed to love and he is completely unaware of how lost and doomed he actually is. Now Jesus recognises the the attitude of the lawyer and reaches out to him in such a way that not only will he recognise who his neighbours are but he will actually have his self-righteousness broken and he will come to realise how lost he actually is. Now I just want to share something this morning about what God God has been continuously sharing with me about this passage in the last nine months of my life. Uh, This period of time has been probably one of the most difficult times in my life um, while being at work. This is in addition to me being or trying to learn about continuing to be a father, a husband, a son, a friend, etc we have had an, we have almost had an entire department collapse at work and in the period we have had several people come go and we have had others hang on. The pressure has been and still has and still is immense the hours myself, my team and others have put in to keep this department going, have been phenomenal, Mm, probably almost in excess of 60 hours a week. I was getting to the point where I dreaded someone coming into my office or having a phone call from anyone in this department as I knew it would be so much extra work already on a loaded schedule. It became an us and a them situation and dealing with the attitudes of the staff has been amongst the most difficult and challenging things I've ever had to experience. And I felt myself becoming more and more bitter about the whole scenario. I felt like my team and I were in the right and that with dealing with this department they should be grateful that we were literally digging them out of the muck and laying our work on the line as financial and project timelines were constantly being exceeded and extended and sometimes not even met. Now when God kept pointing to me the scripture passage about the Good Samaritan, I felt very much like I was the Good Samaritan in the fact that I love God and I was okay on that front. Likewise, with the loving of my neighbour, I thought I was in the right by loving this department, by getting my hands dirty, so to speak, and helping them in their time of need. It's only been recently that God has actually kept pulling me back to the scripture. He's walked me through and he's shown something that's shaken me in how I, how I deal with my attitude. He showed me that internally I was acting in a self-righteous manner, that I was acting more like the lawyer, the priest and the Levite than the Samaritan. My attitude towards the people and the work was bitter, harmful and poisonous, definitely for myself and I'm hoping that I've never passed these feelings onto anyone inside the business and, that I've, not, and I've just internalised it so I've not hurt or dragged anyone down but I can't be sure. And There was actually no loved involved at all. Now some of you may condemn the priest and the Levite as we continue to read on in the next section but you'll be condemning yourself as I have done because if we're honest we actually act like the priest and the Levite and the lawyer most of the time. The Good Samaritan is anything but a simple story of kindness. Jesus responds to the lawyer after he asks who his neighbour is by saying, By introducing a story with three different men and how they respond to a man who has been robbed and injured in verses 30 to 35. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, Jerusalem is a city that is about 750 metres above sea level and Jericho is approximately 250 metres below, below sea level, and the distance from city to city is about 29 kilometres. So it's about a k yeah. worth of drop, and because it's, it's only 29 k's, it's actually a fairly decent descent. So not only was it steep and easy, but it was windy, and there were rocks where it was ideal for concealing bandits, and there were precipices that actually ran into deep canyons, so it was actually quite a dangerous road. Now as the man was walking down the road... These robbers pounced on him, stripped his clothes off him, beat him and left him half dead. So he's in quite a critical condition and he can't help himself out of the situation he's in and is in need of serious help. What would happen then if no one actually happened to come by? Well, thankfully, Jesus states in verse 31, a priest happens to be coming by down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Now initially the lawyer may have thought that at this point in the story that the priest coming along was actually very good news as the priest would have known the Old Testament intimately and he knew to show kindness and he knew that he needed to minister to strangers. Leviticus 19 tells us to love foreigners as much as yourselves and Psalm 37 verse 21 actually talks about the wicked borrowing and not repaying but the righteous will give generously. Micah 6 says, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, ten thousands rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Now priests were part of the Levi tribe, descended from Aaron and they offered the burnt offerings on behalf of the people, individuals and for themselves so that the animals could act as the the sacrifice for the person's sin or sins. The priest would know that he needed to act justly, that he needed to love mercy and he needed to walk humbly before God. The priest should provide hope in the story as he is the obvious choice out of the three men in who would stop and help the injured man. However, the priest simply crosses over to the other side, completely ignores and shuns the injured man and carries on about his travels. In doing so, the priest demonstrates that he has no love for his fellow man and therefore he has no love for God. Otherwise, he would have obeyed God's law, stopped and helped the injured man. The priest is a typical priest within the Jewish system, one who is self-justified and is extremely self-righteous but does not love God or man or others. Then Jesus states in verse 32, So too a Levite when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. Now Levite is a priest from the tribe of Levi, the son of Jacob, but not from the family of Aaron and therefore he's not part of the royal priestly family. So basically they were the bottom rung of the priesthood and assisted the priests in whatever help they needed, whether that be policing the temple, taking care of the temple's facilities or whether being a teacher of Israel. The Levite is a religious man, connected to the priesthood and to religion at its most intimate. Intimate by being near the temple, he too showed no love for God, for his, or for his fellow man, as he does not come to the aid of the injured man, and he just again simply passes by. Jesus has shown us that these two characters, who should have done and stopped or stopped and helped the man did not love God or their neighbour. Will anyone do what's right? Will anyone show love? Now Jesus carries on with the story and introduces a hated person at this point in time. And he says in verse 33, But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where a man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. The Samaritans at this point in time were actually a hated people because they'd intermarried with the Gentiles, so they weren't strictly pure, and they did not keep with the Old Testament law. And contrary to actually current day belief, where you actually, if someone actually does a good deed and you say, oh, well, you're a good Samaritan, it was actually a pretty negative term. And uh, we know this because in John 8, verse 48, it says, oh, well, this is when Jesus was speaking and the Jews answered him. Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? Now, At this point in the story, it must have been shocking to not only the lawyer but also to everyone who had gathered to listen that one of their worst enemies, a Samaritan, who one who did not have access to the temple, no access to burnt offerings and, their, and sacrifices and therefore no access to God for their forgiveness, And he actually does the right thing. He actually obeys God and actually stops and helps the injured man. And and we know this because when the Samaritan came along, the injured man, he showed compassion. So therefore, two men who were part of the religious elite did not show love towards God or the injured man. However, the one who does show the quality of loving your neighbour as yourself is not only the least religious an outcast of society and the least likely to help and he actually takes on the pivotal role in story. If the story uh, if the act of the Samaritan helping the man is shocking to the listeners and the lawyer before which Jesus said he's being the one or the Samaritan is the one who helps the injured man Jesus adds to this story by actually showing the depth of the compassion that the Samaritan shows in verse 34 Now, when the Samaritan stopped, he obviously. Now, I don't know if they knew their doctor A, B, C, D at this point in this time, but he would have stopped over the injured man. He would have checked him over, made sure that he was okay. He would have bandaged his wounds, potentially with strips of his own clothes, as the man was naked. And uh, in verse 34, it also says that he he went to him, bandaged his wounds, and he poured on oil and wine. So the pouring of the oil and wine would have been to soothe the pain. As they didn't have painkillers at this point in time, it was only alcohol, and it also would have acted as an antiseptic for the man. And it goes on to say, he put the man on his donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. Now the Greek word used for inn in this um, in this or this parable is actually pandokion, which actually means a public place that would have been like what we call a hotel today. So you could have paid for the you would have paid to stay the night. And that you'd be given food, and you would have a place to park. Well, in their terms, it would be the donkey, where they could actually have a stable. So, now the Samaritan not only took the injured man to the inn, but he looked after him during the night, where he would have stayed, provided comfort, kept feeding him, making sure, you know, maybe if he had a fever, a fever, just kept making sure he was, he wasn't getting feverish, making sure was, his temperature was kept cool. Now the taking of an injured man to an inn is by no means stretch. You know, It's fantastic to have done for a friend but for an enemy? That's, a, that's even mind boggling. So it says in verse 35, the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Now two denarii is about a day's wage, and although we're not told about the pricing for an inn, for whether it be day or night, we can be sure that the amount given is actually quite a substantial amount, which only covers the room cost. He goes on to say further to even say that any expenses that the innkeeper has will actually that and is out of pocket he will actually reimburse. Now that opens up the Samaritan to actually some big financial risk. I don't know if I'd be handing someone a blank check but essentially, but this is what he does. So, you know, the innkeeper could make up a story and say, well, I've had to have you know, 10 denarii worth of expenses and there's no, I don't know if there was receipts back in those days, but yeah. But he goes ahead and does it. Uh, that's amazing generosity. So the point Jesus is trying to make here is would we do that to ourselves? Of course we would if I was injured and I would like to be put into an inn and cared for. Now, what about others? Would we do that in, in that situation? Who can love like that on a regular basis? Not just once or twice, but all the time. As, Ma- as Jesus had said in Matthew 22 we must love our God with all our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength all the time. We must love our neighbour. All the time. Is anyone able to do this unconditionally? Sam, Judy, can anyone do it? No one can. The Samaritan loved the injured man as much, if not more, than he loved himself. Unless you love God all the time and you love your neighbour all the time, you will not receive eternal life according to the Old Testament law. This story shows such lavish lavish love by the Samaritan for a man he did not even know. Jesus concludes the story and asks the lawyer in verse 36, which of the three men the lawyer thought was a neighbour to the injured man. And it shows in verse 37 that the lawyer responds that it was the man who had mercy on the injured man. And Jesus says to the lawyer, go and do likewise. Now, did you notice that Jesus changed the question from verse 29 from the lawyer asking who his neighbour is? Jesus spins it and and he's showing that it doesn't matter who your neighbour is or who you think qualifies your neighbour, but are you being a neighbour to someone who loves in an unqualified way? To another person, be it a family member, a friend, or anyone else you meet. Remember those examples that I gave you earlier on this morning? How your husband's feeling, how your wives are feeling, and what about those who you meet at work, whether it be a relationship, you know, just with a work colleague, a family member, or a complete stranger. I'd be curious as to know and hear how you view them now. There is no one who could love others as much as they love themselves. And that means that we have all fallen short of the glory of God and we cannot fulfil the Old Testament law which means we do not have eternal life through ourselves. But God knew that we would not meet the requirements that we set out exactly. So in the Old Testament the burnt offerings were put in place so that they, so the animals could have or be sacrificed to forgive others as the sacrifice and a replacement for the people's sins. Today we know that Jesus took the place of the, as the final place of the burnt offerings, as Chris shared this morning. And for those of you who believe in him and are saved, you are the Good Samaritans from today's parable that we have read today. Jesus commanded us to go and do likewise in loving not only God, but our neighbour, which is everyone that we come across. There are no restrictions. Jesus, it everyone. Now I know some of the great work that you were doing in loving others, and I'm sure that I don't know a lot of what you were of what you are also doing as well. Keep at it and continue to love as you are loving. For those of you who are sitting here today and do not know Jesus, I urge you to read the Bible, to ask questions, and approach the elders. Uh, Sam was one of them. Uh, So, please read the Bible. I'd just like to close with a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for everything that you've done for us and for your written word that we've been able to open today. We know that you've commanded us to go and do as the Good Samaritan did. Thank you, Lord, for the people sitting here who love you wholeheartedly. Thank you for the love they are showing to others whether it be known or unknown to other people. I pray that you will provide the people here with opportunities in the coming weeks to demonstrate the love that we should be showing and I pray that in doing so, we will point everything done to And it just goes to you, Lord, to just glorify you. For the people already loving, I pray that you encourage them, Lord, and sustain them in the good works that they are doing. For everyone, Lord, regardless of whether they are loving or not loving, Lord, I pray that you will help us to become more Christ-like and that our compassion for others continues to grow so that we can love others as much as ourselves. And as we sang earlier this morning, Lord, fill us so that we may be emptied again and the seed that we have received we can sow. Help us to be there for Bonnie and the Jenkins family, Lord, not only spiritually, prayerfully, but also practically as well. I pray for all this in your heavenly name. Amen.